Chapter 4 of Henry Moore Smith, The Mysterious Stranger. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry Moore Smith, The Mysterious Stranger by Walter Bates. Chapter 4. Smith's wanderings through the province leaves a trail of larcenies. Arrested and brought before the court at Fredericton, he admits escaping from Kingston Jail and is sent back by George Saunders, escapes on the way, burglarizes the home of the Attorney General, and is rearrested, and after a month of liberty is again placed in Kingston Jail. Nothing was heard of our adventurer till after the return of Mr. Knox with his party from a fruitless search of ten days in the province of Nova Scotia, and as far as Ricky Bucto. The day following, Mr. Foster and Mr. DeForest returned from their chase, and reported that after they had proceeded to within three miles of Fredericton, they heard of a stranger answering to his description, having lodged all night at a private house, but had gone on the road towards Woodstock. They continued the pursuit and found that he had stopped at Mr. Ingraham's tavern the night following, slept late in the morning, being fatigued, paid his bill, and went off, but not without giving another proof of his characteristic villainy. He broke open a trunk, which was in the room adjoining the one he had slept in, and carried off a full suit of clothes belonging to Mr. Ingraham, that cost him forty dollars, and a silk cloak with other articles, which he concealed so as not to be discovered. This information gave his pursuers sufficient proof that he was indeed the noted horse-dealer, but Mr. Ingraham, not having missed his clothes immediately, the robber traveled on unmolested, and the next day went only as far as Mr. Robertson's where he found a collection of young people, played the fiddle for them, and remained the next day and night. He then proceeded towards Woodstock, leaving the spoons with Mrs. Robertson in exchange for a shirt, and taking passage in a canoe happened to fall in company with another canoe that had been at Fredericton, in which the Reverend Mr. Dibble, missionary at Woodstock, was passenger, with a young man pulling the canoe. The young man had seen Mr. Bale's advertisement at Fredericton, describing the man and watch which had a singular steel chain, and observed to Mr. Dibble that they both answered to the appearance of the stranger. Mr. D. remarked to the young man that he might be mistaken, and asked the stranger to let him see the watch. The stranger handed the watch with all willingness, and it was found so exactly to answer to the marks of Mr. Bale's watch that Mr. D. challenged it as the property of Mr. Bale's. Smith very gravely replied that it was a favorite watch that he had owned for a long time, but that if he had heard of one like it having been stolen, he had no objection to leave it with him until he returned, which would be in about two weeks. Mr. D. replied that the suspicion was so strong that he thought he would detain him also, until he could hear from Fredericton. Smith rejoined that he was on important business and could not be detained but if he would pay his expenses and make himself responsible for the damage incurred by his detention, he would have no objection to stop till he could send to Fredericton. Otherwise, he would leave the watch, as he proposed before, and would return in ten or twelve days, during which time Mr. Dean might satisfy himself as to the watch. He appeared so perfectly at ease, without discovering the slightest indications of guilt, that on these conditions they suffered him to pass on. He continued his march until he came to the road that leads to the American settlement, and as it drew towards evening, he inquired of a resident by the way concerning the road to the American side, but was asked by the man to tarry till morning, as it was then near night and the settlement yet twelve miles distant. 
He did not choose to comply with the invitation and advanced as an apology, but two men had gone on before him, and he feared they would leave him in the morning if he did not proceed. It happened in a very short time after that two young men arrived there from the settlement, and being asked whether they had met two men on the road, they answered in the negative. It was then concluded that Smith was a deserter, and they turned about and followed him to the American settlement, but found nothing of him. The day following, Mr. Foster and Mr. DeForest arrived at Woodstock, and finding themselves still on the track of him, they pursued on to the American line, but could hear nothing concerning him. They then informed the inhabitants of Smith's character and proposed a reward of twenty pounds for his apprehension. The people seemed well disposed and promised to do their utmost. Mrs. F and D then made their way back to the river St. John, and there, most unexpectedly, came across the path of our adventurer again. They found that he had crossed the river, stopped at several houses for refreshments, and called himself Bond, that he had assumed the character of a pursuant in quest of the thief who had broken out of Kingston jail, said that he was a notorious villain and would certainly be hung if taken, and appeared to be extremely anxious that he should be apprehended. They traced him down to the river where the Indians were encamped, and found that he had agreed with an Indian to conduct him through the woods to the United States, by the way of Eel River, a route not infrequently traveled, and hence had baffled all the efforts of his pursuers, and finally escaped. Mrs. F. and D. thought it was now time to return and make their report. It afterwards appeared that the Indian, his conductor, after having gone about two days on the route, began to be wary of his job, perhaps finding that it might not be productive of much profit, and discovered that Smith carried a pistol, which he did not like very much, refused to guide him any longer, gave him back part of his money, and returned. This materially turned the scale with their adventurer and fortune that had hitherto smiled on his enterprise, refused, like the Indian, to conduct him much further. Unable to pursue his journey alone, he was, of course, obliged to return, and he had now no alternative but to try his chance by the known road. It was now the 10th of October, and he reappeared on the old ground, wanting refreshment and in quest, as he said, of a deserter. While his breakfast was preparing, information of his presence was circulated among the inhabitants, and Dr. Rice, who was a principal character in the place, effected his apprehension and had him secured. The clothes he had stolen from Mr. Ingraham he had on, excepting the pantaloons, which he had exchanged for a pistol. He said he had purchased the clothes very cheap from a man who believed was a Yankee. He was then taken in charge by Mr. A. Putnam and Mr. Watson, who set out with their prisoner for Fredericton. On their way, they stopped at the Attorney General's, three miles from Fredericton, and then proceeded into town, where the Supreme Court was then sitting. The prisoner was brought before the court in the presence of a large number of spectators. The Honorable Judge Saunders asked him his name, and he unhesitatingly answered, Smith. Are you the man that escaped from the jail at Kingston? Yes. On being asked how he effected his escape, he said the jailer opened the door and the priest prayed him out. He was then ordered to prison for the night, and the next day he was remanded to Kingston jail. Putnam and Watson set out with him in an Indian canoe, one at each end, and a prisoner handcuffed and pinioned, and tied to the bar of the canoe in the center. They were obliged to watch him the first night at the place where they lodged, and the next day they reached the house of Mr. Bales opposite Spoon Island, where he had stolen the watch and the money, etc. It was near night, and the passage to Kingston rather difficult, and they being strangers, Mr. Bear proposed that if they would stop with him till morning, he would conduct them to Kingston himself. 
They willingly complied, and having been up the preceding night, Mr. B proposed that if they would retire and take some rest, he with his family would keep watch of the prisoner. After they had retired, the prisoner inquired the way to St. John, and whether there were any fairies on this side the river. He then asked for a blanket and leave to lie down. Mrs. B made him a bed on the floor, but before he would lie down, he said he had occasion to go to the door. Mr. B awakened Mr. Watson, who got up to attend him to the door. Smith said to him that if I had any apprehensions, he had better tie a rope to his arm, which he accordingly did, fastening it above the handcuffs with the other end wound round his own hand. In this situation, they went out of doors, but in an unguarded moment, Smith, watching his opportunity, knocked him down with his handcuffs, leaving the rope in the hands of his keeper, having slipped the other end over his hand without untying the knot. Thus, handcuffed and pinioned and bound with a rope, the ingenious horse dealer, by another effort of his unfailing ingenuity, akin to his mock sickness in the jail, had effected a second escape from his keepers, leaving it as a matter of choice, whether to institute a hopeless search for him in darkness of the night, or sit down in sullen consultation on what plan they had best pursue in the morning. Nothing could exceed the chagrin of Putnam and Watson in finding themselves robbed of their prisoner, except the confusion which filled myself and the jailer on the knowledge of his unexampled and noted escape from the jail. To pursue him in the night, which was unusually dark and rained besides, was both hopeless and vain. It was therefore thought best to inform the sheriff in the morning of what had taken place, and receive his advice as to future proceedings. In the morning, accordingly, Mr. Putnam proceeded to Kingston, and on communicating the news to the sheriff, received a supply of money, with orders to pursue the road to St. John, while the sheriff, with two men, proceeded to Mr. Bales. There they received information that Smith had changed his course, and crossing the Oknabok Lake in the night, was directing his course towards Fredericton again. It will be remembered that previous to his escape, while a prisoner at Mr. Bales, he made particular inquiries whether there were any ferries on the way to St. John, on this side the river. At this time, it would seem that he had looked upon his scheme as successful, and evidently directed those inquiries concerning the road with a view to mislead, while it was his policy to return upon the course which would be judged the most unlikely of all he should take. But to return to our story. He came to the lake the same evening he had got clear of Mr. Watson and the rope, and there urged, as a reason of his haste in crossing the lake in the night, that he was on his way to Fredericton to purchase land, and that he had arranged it with Putnam and Watson, who had gone to Kingston with the thief, to take him up in their canoe on their return, and was to meet them at the intervale above early the next morning. This well-varnished and characteristic story procured him a speedy passage over the lake, and now our adventurer is in undisputed possession of the country, at liberty to choose which way he should turn his face. On being put in possession of these particulars, we immediately and naturally supposed that he was wisely and prudently directing his course to the United States, by the way of the Aramokto, and so he followed up his retreat accordingly. But in that direction no intelligence could be obtained, and we remain in total ignorance of his proceedings and history up to the 26th of October. At this date, when it was supposed that he had transported himself into the United States, to our astonishment and surprise, we find him again in the prosecution of his usual business in the immediate vicinity of Fredericton. His first appearance there again was in a by-place, at a small house not then occupied as a dwelling 
It was drawing towards night, and the day having been rainy, he came to the house wet and cold. An old man by the name of Wicks, with his son, was engaged in repairing the house, in which they had some potatoes. There was also a quantity of dry wood in the house, but as the old man was about quitting work for the day, he had suffered the fire to burn down. The stranger was anxious to lodge in their humble habitation for the night, but the old man observed to him that they did not lodge there at night, and gave him an invitation to the next house, where he could accommodate him better. He did not accept the invitation, but said that he must go on eight or ten miles that night, and so he departed. The old man and his son secured a door and retired to their lodgings, but when the morning came, it was found that Smith had returned to the old house, spent the night, burned up all the wood, regaled himself and roasted potatoes, and again took his departure. The following night, he paid a sweeping visit at the house of Mr. Wilmot, seven miles from Fredericton. Finding a large quantity of linen, sprinkled and ready for ironing, he made a full seizure of the whole, together with a new coat belonging to a young man belonging to the house. The plunderer, finding his booty rather burdensome, took a saddle and bridle, which he happened to discover, put them on a small black pony, which was feeding in the pasture, and thus rode with his luggage till he came within two miles of Fredericton. There he found a barrack or hovel, filled with hay, belonging to Jack Patterson, a mulatto, which presented a convenient retreat where he could feed his horse and conceal his plunder. Here he remained some days undisturbed, would turn his horse out to feed on the common in the day, concealing himself in the hay, and would catch him at night, ride into town, make what plunder he could, return to his retreat, and conceal it in the hay. Our adventurer thought it was now high time to pay his respects to the attorney general himself, who lived about three miles distant. Here he was not altogether unacquainted, having made a previous call on his passage as a prisoner from Woodstock to Fredericton. He arrived on the spot about nine o'clock in the evening, retaining, no doubt, an accurate remembrance of the entrance to the house, and everything proved propitious to the object of his visit, for it happened that there was much company at the Attorney General's on the same evening, whose overcoats, cloaks, tippets, comforters, etc., etc., were all suspended in the hall. He did not obtrude himself upon the notice of the company, but paid his respects to their loose garments, making one sweep of the hall consisting of five top coats, three plaid cloaks, a number of tippets, comforters, and other wearing articles. Having been more successful than perhaps he expected, he rode back through the town to the place of concealment, deposited his booty, and gave his horse, after his travel, a generous allowance of hay. This generosity to his horse led to his detection, for Patterson happening to perceive that his hay was lying in an unusual manner out of the window of his barrack immediately formed an opinion that some person had taken up lodgings in the hay, and in this he was not mistaken, for on coming to the spot, he found Smith lying in the hay, with a white comforter about his neck. On perceiving him to be a stranger, he asked him where he did he come from, and was answered that he came from the Kennebecasses, was after land, and getting belated had taken up his lodging in the hay, and hoped it was no harm. After Patterson had gone into his house, he perceived that the traveller had retired from the barrack by the window and was making towards the woods. Upon perceiving this, the idea of his being a deserter instantly presented himself to his mind and calling for assistance. He soon made the stranger a prisoner, which was easily effected, as he did not make much effort to escape. It was soon discovered that their prisoner was no less a person than the far-famed Henry Moore Smith, and no time was lost in committing him to Fredericton Jail. 
Patterson, not seeing the comforter with him which he wore around his neck in the hay, was induced to examine the hay if perhaps he might find it. This led to the discovery of his entire deposit, for he not only found the immediate object of his search, but also all the articles previously mentioned, with many more, which were all restored to the owners respectively. Upon the examination of the prisoner, he gave no proper satisfaction concerning the articles found in the hay. He said they were brought there by a soldier who rode a little pony and went off, leaving the saddle and bridle. He was then ordered to be taken by the sheriff of York County and safely delivered to the sheriff of King's County in his prison. Accordingly, the sheriff prepared for his safe conveyance an iron collar made of a flat bar of iron, an inch and a half wide, with a hinge and clasp fastened with a padlock. To the collar, which was put around his neck, was fastened an iron chain, ten feet in length, thus prepared and his hands bound together with a pair of strong handcuffs. After examining his person lest he should have saws or other instruments concealed about him, he was put on board a sloop for his old residence in Kingston. They started with a fair wind, and with Patterson, the mulatto, holding the chain by the end, they arrived with their prisoner at Kingston, a distance of sixty miles, about twelve o'clock on the night of the 30th of October, which was better than one month from the time of his triumphant escape through means of his pretended indisposition. On his reappearing in the old spot and among those who administered so feelingly to his comfort during the whole period of his affected illness, and whom he had so effectually hoaxed, it might have been expected that he would have betrayed some feeling or emotion, or that a transient blush of shame at least would have passed over his countenance. But, ah, uh, no. His countenance had long since become seared, and there was no sensibility within, strong enough to give the slightest tint to his shame-proof countenance. He appeared perfectly composed and as indifferent and insensible to all around him as though he were a statue of marble. On the ensuing morning, he was conducted to the jail, which he entered without hesitation or seeming regret. After his former escape, it had been cleared out of everything and carefully swept and searched. In the course of the search, there were found several broken parts of a watch, and among the rest, the box which contained the mainspring, this convinced us that the watch, which he received from the young man before his escape, in exchange for the spyglass, was intended to furnish him the materials for making a saw in case all other plans he might adopt to accomplish his release should fail to succeed. We found a large thinner knife cut in two, which we suppose to have been done with a saw made of the mainspring as a trial or experiment of its utility. End of chapter 4